Turn on your Impact Church apps. And uh, I want to preach a message today titled, I'm Not Worried About It. Would you say that out loud with me? I'm not worried about it. God doesn't want us to worry about stuff. He doesn't want us to live in fear or anxiety. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about this virus. I'm not going to be stupid about it. I'm going to be prepared about it and educated about it, but I'm not going to worry about it. And so would you believe that God gave me this message? I wrote it two weeks ago for today. Isn't it just like God? He's always on time. He knows exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. And so today I want to talk to you about not worrying about it. I know a lot of people are very worried right now. You can see it in the toilet paper aisle at the grocery store. They are worried. People are afraid. And then some people, maybe they're not afraid. They just know that if I don't go get my TP, I'm not going to have any because of all the people that are afraid. But there's a lot of fear going around the world. And it's uh, it's been interesting, hasn't it? I mean, this has been uh, probably the most interesting week I can remember having in my life. It has been interesting. And this last week we had just the damn break open with the NBA and we had this positive test by Rudy Gobert and he tested positive with the Utah Jazz and then immediately, swiftly, the NBA says, boom, season suspended and then the domino effect with Major League Baseball hitting pause, hockey hitting pause, March Madness canceled. That's madness, completely canceled. And we have just so many things unraveling. I got a text message this morning that Nike has closed all their stores for a moment in time. And we have college campuses all over the nation closing and going to online school. My daughter is here on spring break from San Diego. And it looks like they've been informed that there will be no more on-campus school. They'll be finishing online We have schools all over Arizona that are canceling their schools and just, this is wild. I mean, this is wild. This is, you know, people are looking at each other like they're the enemy. You know, you go stand by somebody and you're looking at them like, don't even, you might have the virus. Don't look at me. Don't get too close to me. I mean, it is crazy. But even aside from the coronavirus, COVID-19, there's all kinds of worries in life that we have to deal with as, as humans, all kinds of fears, all kinds of anxieties. And for some of you, it might be your relationship or uh, your marriage. You've been worried about it or fearful about it. It could be jobs, job stability. It could be your retirement. It could be money. It could be the economics of the world today. It could be your health that you're worried about. Maybe you have a medical condition. The problem with worry is that It affects every area of your life. Worry, it affects everything about you. It affects your relationships. It affects your health. It affects your sleep. It affects your appetite. How many of you, when you begin to get really worried or stressed out, you 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 eat a lot. You're like a stress eater. Come on, raise your hand. Be honest. Okay, how many of you the opposite? Like you don't eat when you're worried. That's me too. If I'm worried, I can't find my appetite. I can't eat. It affects 
everything, your job performance, it affects every relationship. It just spills out onto everything. Worry is one of the tricks that the devil uses to discourage our lives. And it seems appropriate to me that one of the very first teachings that Jesus taught was on the topic of worry. One of the very first things he ever taught about publicly was on the topic of worry. We find it in Matthew chapter 6. I'm just going to read you one verse he says, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, that's easier said than done, right? Don't worry. Just, just man, chill out. Take a chill, right? That's way easier said than done. But God does not want us to live in fear. In fact, in 1 Timothy, the Bible says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Now think about this verse for a minute. It's loaded with power. He says, God doesn't give you a spirit of fear. Now I know there's normal everyday life worries. He's talking about the spirit of fear. You're worried about everything all the time. The worry, it consumes you. You live and are driven by fear. There's a lot of people like that. They're driven by fear. So fear it dictates and manipulates everything about their life. So he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. This is what fear does. Fear, it makes you powerless. It takes the power away from you. It makes you emotionally and physically weak. That's what fear does. That's why we say things like, I'm paralyzed by fear. Fear, it makes you loveless. When I'm afraid, I become selfish and I become in, into this mode of self-preservation. And fear, it makes you mindless. In other words, you do really stupid stuff when you're afraid. Right? When you're afraid, you lose your mind and you do stupid stuff like buy a year's supply of toilet paper. So I'm afraid and I've lost my mind. I don't think clearly when I'm afraid. That's why God doesn't want us to have a spirit of fear. And so today, I want to give you five biblical keys to dealing with fear. Number one, the first key is to guard my mind. Somebody say that out loud. Guard my mind. Guard my mind. Your mind is the motor of your life. Your mind. It's the computer system of your entire body. If you're not careful... Worry could consume your mind, take over your mind, and squeeze the life right out of you. It could squeeze the joy out of your life. It could squeeze the sanity out of your life, the wisdom. Even the common sense could be squeezed out of your life. Now, if you study the word worry, it's interesting because we get our word worry from the old English word worry in, which is W O R. I-E-N, worrying. Worrying, the old English translation, it meant to slay or to kill or injure by biting and shaking the throat. Isn't that interesting? Because 
It's eerie but accurate. Worry, it shakes you to the core. Some people, they can become so anxious that their body literally trembles. I'm so worried that my body is shaking. So that's what worry does is it chokes the life right out of you. So that's why we've got to guard our minds. I want you to look with me at Proverbs chapter 4. And there's uh, two translations of the same verse that I want to read you today. Proverbs 4.23 in the Good News translation. He says, be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. Be careful how you think. Uh, Phil, can you fix there's lights or there's something ticking like crazy. It's just ticking nonstop. Can you fix that for me? Because I have ADHD and I won't be able to preach this message for sure. So he says, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. And then in the NIV translation, the New International Translation, he says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Say that with me. Guard your heart. He says, for everything you do. So pick whichever translation you like the best. It's saying the same thing. Your heart is your mind. It's your thought process. you got to protect it because where your heart goes, your life goes. Right? Where your heart goes, your life goes. It goes in that direction. So he says, above all else, guard your heart. We guard a lot of things in life, don't we? We guard a lot of things. We have locks on our houses. We have locks on our windows. We have uh, gated communities, guard-gated communities. We have passcodes on our phone and codes on our bank accounts and all these kind of passwords. We go at length to guard things in our life. He says above guarding everything else, above all else, guard your heart. Now, it's still clicking. I just want the whole church to know. Ryan, I think Ryan got it. Let's give Ryan a round of applause. He got it. Super awesome. So... The number one way the devil attacks you, he attacks your mind. It's his greatest strategy is he attacks your mind. Because the devil knows if he can get your mind, he's got you. If he can get a hold of your mind, he knows that your thoughts shape your life. So if I can get a hold of your thoughts and control them, I've got a hold of you. So the tactics that the enemy uses, he uses guilt. He uses shame, he uses fear, anxieties, he uses doubt, he uses insecurities, he uses depression, discouragement. He knows if I can get your mind, I have you. Years ago, I watched this YouTube video, and I don't know why it popped up on my little side panel, but it was interesting. It said how piranhas kill a goldfish and I thought that's cool and I did what any good pastor would do I watched it like 10 times and it was interesting because I thought man that you know what how do they kill from like a strategy point how would that happen so you had this little goldfish in this tank and little goldie was swimming around and then they dropped five, you know, piranhas. They're not very big. They're about like a half inch to an inch. Not very big. And this little goldie was swimming around, just chiseling. And then all of a sudden, the piranhas dipped in. And it was just like, whoo, whoo, whoo. it was like, yeah, no, I don't want none of that. And he was just trying. But he couldn't go anywhere because he's in this aquarium. He's trapped, right? So then it showed these piranhas 
just going up to its caudal fin. That's this thing. This caudal fin is its motor. It's what makes the fishy go, right? My caudal fin, it's just going, ooh, it's going back and forth, and it's making it go, and they just chip away at the caudal fin. Chip, 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 chip. They're in no hurry. Chip, chip, chip. And pretty soon, the caudal fin is completely gone. And then what happens to little goldie fish when the caudal fin's gone? You guys can say it out loud. It sinks. And then it's sitting on the bottom of the aquarium like, dear Jesus, I'm coming home. I'm coming to see you. And it eats them alive. It's the greatest uplifting church service you've ever been to in your life. It eats them alive. The reason I use the illustration is it's kind of like what the devil does to us. Our caudal fin, if you will, is our mind. And he just chips at it and chips at it and chips at it and chips at it and chips at it. And he is trying to take your mind away from you. He wants you to lose your mind. He wants you to live in fear. He wants you to live with guilt and shame. He wants you to be bitter and resentful. He wants you to not be a person that forgives others. Because if he can control your mind, he can control your life. That's why King Solomon says, above all else, guard your hearts. Above all else, guard your hearts. The second key is to give my worries and my fears to God. God, I give them to you. I give them to you. Instead of going into panic mode, I go into prayer mode. Instead of going into worry sessions, I go into worship sessions, right? Instead of going, oh my goodness, what happens when you panic? What happens when you worry? You're thinking about you and you only. Man, I'm worried. Even if it's a child, it still has to do with you. I'm thinking about me and my situation and everything about me. When I pray, when I worship, it takes the attention off me and it puts it on God so in Psalm 55 it makes sense verse 22 that it says cast your burden onto the Lord and he will sustain you he will never allow the righteous to be shaken somebody ought to say praise God for that right there because that's talking about each and every one of us he didn't say he will never allow the righteous to go through trials because we're going to go through trials. He said, I'll never allow the righteous to be shaken. Then in Philippians chapter 4, Paul, he's trying to encourage the church in Philippi. And we know it as the book of Philippians. And he says, do not be anxious about what? Anything. He says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. God, I'm thankful. Present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything. God doesn't want us to live in a spirit of fear. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to educate myself. I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to be smart about it, but I'm not going to worry about it. God wants us to live in peace. And so he says... Whatever it is, it doesn't matter if it's big. It doesn't matter if it's small. I take this situation, this burden, and God, I give it to you because I am not built to carry it. 
God, I give it to you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my marriage. I trust you with my relationship. I trust you with my medical condition. God, I give it to you. I cast my burden onto you. And then he says, when you take your request to God, it says something supernatural happens. Look what it says. It says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It will guard your hearts and minds. Didn't we just talk about that point one? Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Have you ever met somebody who's going through hell, but they look like they're okay? Have you ever gone through hell and it looks like you ought to be just completely derailed in life, but for some weird reason, you're actually okay? That's what he's saying, that the supernatural peace of God, it makes no sense to the human mind. It's supernatural. I give it to you, God. I cast my burdens onto you. I take my request to you. And God, I trust you to give me the peace of God in my life. Instead of panic, I pray. Instead of worry, I worship. By the way, one of the things I love most about Impact Church is coming together and worshiping during our songs together. I love that. It's one of my favorite Things the other, my favorite thing is my preaching, but my second favorite, it's a joke. This section is not laughing, but it's a joke. You guys got it. You're with me. And so I love coming in to worship together. I love singing songs side by side with people. I love it. I love it. You know, the thing I love about worship and the reason I love it, I come together and I can literally feel the presence of God. I can physically feel it. I can emotionally feel it feel it. We come together and we worship. We're singing about the goodness of God. We're singing about the greatness of God. We're singing about the supernatural power of God. We're singing about the grace of God. We're singing about just how amazing our God is. And guess what happens? All of a sudden, all my worries and anxieties, they seem to dissipate during my time of worship. During my time of worship, because when I focus on God and God's goodness and power, then all the stupid stuff that I'm worried about, it dissipates. Here's the goal, is that we could live our entire life in that state of worship. That I could actually take that moment and take it with me so that it calms my anxiety. Worship is powerful. Worship sets us free. Worship, it breaks chains in our lives. It breaks strongholds in our lives. Worship. Do you remember the story in Acts 16 of Paul and Silas? The Bible says that Paul and Silas were headed to prayer. And as they were heading to prayer, this demon-possessed woman, who was a fortune teller, was just pestering and bothering them. That seems typical, right? Anytime you're trying to move forward towards Christ, the devil's going to come mess with you. And they're trying to go to prayer, and finally they get sick of it, and they turn around and they cast the demon out of this woman. The problem was this woman was now set free, but she was owned by some business persons that now weren't going to make money off her because she didn't have this fortune-telling 
gift. These business people were connected to authorities and they went to the authorities and they lied about Paul and Silas. And the next thing you know, Paul and Silas find themselves in jail, in the inner cell of the jail, with their feet shackled. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a bad day right there. It's like, man, I'm just going to go pray. Let's, hey, Silas, you want to go pray? Now, you got two men, two men's men. I don't know too many men's men today that are like, yo, homie, should we go to the church? Let's go pray at lunchtime. And by the way, any of you men want to do that, you let us know. We'll open the church building. Let's go pray at church today. And then all of a sudden, the devil starts messing with I don't know how to deal with that in Jesus' name. Get out of my face. Go away. And then all of a sudden, you're in jail. I kind of boohoo a lot. I would be like, Lord, you got to be kidding me right now. I'm trying to do your work, and you put me in jail? Like, I'm going to go pray? I'll cast the devil out. That woman's free now, and you put me in jail? But no, no. Paul and Silas decide, hey, let's worship. I'm sure you would do the same thing. You know, if you were put in Maricopa County Jail or something like that. You're down in Florence. You didn't do nothing wrong. You're like, you know what, let's worship. Let's worship Jesus. Let's pray. I'm going to read you what it says because this is powerful stuff. Acts 16, verse 20. You don't have it. You can look all day. It's not in your outlines. I have it here, or you can look in your Bible. But Acts 16, 25, they said, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. By the way, this is a good life lesson that when you're going through hell as a man or a woman of God, people are watching you. The non-believer is watching you. The non-Christian is watching. They're watching when you get a bad deck of cards dealt to you at work or whatever. They're watching to see how you're going to react. And then it says in verse 26 that suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Listen, that's the power of worship. So you mean to tell me that my prayer and my worship will not only impact my life, but it will impact yours? It will. That's the power of prayer and the power of worship. So God wants us to trust him and not worry. That I give my worries and my fears to God. Let's look at the third key. Key number three is that I understand that God is in control. Does everybody know that God is still actually in control of the universe in the world? You know that. If you know that, give him a round of applause. He's actually in control right now. When the world seems like it's spinning out of control, God is actually still in control. God is not worried about what you are worried about. God is not in heaven and the coronavirus took him by surprise. He's like, whoa, Elijah, yo, come here. I didn't see this one coming. What is it? It's called the Quran. Well, they renamed it on earth. It's now the COVID-19. I didn't see it. 
No, he sees everything, man. He sees the future. He sees the good. He sees the bad. And he is in control. It wouldn't happen unless God allows it to happen. It wouldn't happen unless God allows it to happen. Now, why would God allow bad things to happen? Why would God allow bad things to happen to good people even? Why would God allow it? There is always, always, always a purpose behind our problems. There's always an eternal sovereign purpose behind our pain. And before I get to that, I want you to look at Proverbs with me in chapter 3. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. These scriptures are loaded. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You know why? Because your own human logic and understanding, it will deceive you. In Ezekiel, it says, the heart is deceitful above everything else. Your own understanding will make a fool of you. It will deceive you. Like, for example, five years ago, you thought something was a really good idea. Like, you would have went to the death. Like, this is a good idea. Fast forward five years, you look back now and you go, that was a really stupid idea. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, you're married to him, right? You're sitting right next to him right now, right? You say, man, that's a good idea. That was a horrible idea. What was I thinking? Right? The human mind, it misleads us. It, I was just kidding. I'm just kidding. If you're sitting by her, they're, they're meant for you. They are your other one. They're meant for you. You are now one flesh. Whether you like them or not, it is, never mind. So he says, don't lean on your own understanding, but trust in God. Things that don't make sense to me makes sense to God. I might not understand it, but God understands it. Now listen, my prayer has been this. God, I pray that the coronavirus would be a wake-up call across our nation. That this would be a spiritual awakening. That it would spark a revival in our land because people our world is in a complete panic because they've been putting their trust in everything but God. You know, man, when I put my trust in my money, it could be here today, gone tomorrow. I put my trust in my talents, here today, gone tomorrow. Oh, I built my life on the foundation of my career. It could be gone tomorrow. I have built my foundation on the comforts and the normalcies of the American way of living. Yo, the coronavirus is one little small example of where we have to take a step back and realize that everything you know about life could be gone in an instant. In an instant. 
everything you know. It's a sobering moment. It's almost like God is letting not just the U.S. know, but the world know. You can chase lust. You can chase money. You can chase pride. You can chase possessions. But I want you to know I can make it all go away in a flash. So what is your foundation built on? So I pray, God, that this would be something that you use to spark a revival. Did God send this virus? I don't know. Probably not. Maybe so. Doesn't even matter. It's the wrong question. The question is, what am I going to do about it? There's a lot of talk about what to do physically. Don't get within six feet of me. If I get too close, just back off, okay? There's a lot of talk to do physically. Where's all the talk about what to do spiritually? What do I do about this virus? Number one, man, you get your heart right with Jesus Christ. You surrender your life to Christ. You re-surrender if you've already and you've gone astray. Listen, you guys remember the story in the book of Exodus of the ten plagues? This is one of the most scary stories about the wrath of God. Now, listen, at Impact Church, I believe in the grace of God. I teach about the grace of God. I teach about the forgiveness of God. But there is a wrath. There is a wrath of God that I never want to experience. So in Exodus, Pharaoh and the Egyptians held the Israelites in slavery. You're our slaves. You're going to work for us. God doesn't like slavery. God said, let my people go, Pharaoh. I ain't letting them go. No, you're going to let them go, Pharaoh. Pharaoh, I'm going to give you one last chance to let my people go or the wrath of God is coming. I'm not letting them go. And so the Bible says that God sent ten plagues. God sent them. God sent bad things to humans. He sent ten plagues. Plagues, the interesting thing about the 10 plagues is that he sent 10 plagues and all 10, all 10 plagues mocked the false gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Yo, this is intense. Let me give you some examples. I don't have time to go into all 10, but you can research them on your own. They worshipped a false god called Kanum. Canum was the god of the rivers. And Canum protected the rivers and kept them clean. The god, oh, we thank you, Canum, for, for keeping the rivers clean. And we can bathe in them and we can eat the fish and, and, and we can drink the water. So what's the first plague God does? He turns all the rivers into what? Blood. Drink that, baby boy. <laughs> Bathing in that stuff, huh? The Bible says now the fish died. It smelled so bad. That's plague number one. He does it ten times. They worshiped a false god, a frog. Yes, a frog. Because the frog represented fertility. We must worship the frog so that we can have babies. God said, you all like frogs, do you? He infested the place with frogs. He does this ten times because the wrath of God is 
incredibly, incredibly powerful, and it is to be respected. Now, am I saying that COVID-19 is God's wrath or a plague from God? I'm not saying that. I don't know that it is. I don't know that it isn't. It doesn't matter. But what I'm saying is God used this to be a wake-up call for our nation that nothing can be taken for granted. It ought to be a wake-up call that we ought to start paying attention and get our focus on our relationships with Jesus Christ. A prayer of mine that I want you to pray. I want you to screenshot this, print it, whatever you got to do, but this is my prayer for our nation right now. Is in 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says, if my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Let's look at number four. Key number four to deal with worry is just remember that God knows the future. God knows the future. He knows it. The great thing about God knowing the future is that the word of God says that he has a plan for your life and that that plan is a good plan. It's a good plan. You were brought into this earth for a reason. At this exact moment in the timeline of history and his plan for you is good. It doesn't mean there's not going to be battles, valleys, hardships, but ultimately God's plan for you is good. In Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, for I know the plans I have for you. That means God has a plan for your life. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and to give you a future. That's God's plans for your life. I have a plan for you, and I know the future. It doesn't matter what today looks like. God says, I know what tomorrow is going to look like. It doesn't matter what 2020 looks like. I know what 2021 is going to look like. It doesn't matter what your marriage looks like today. I know what it's going to look like tomorrow. It doesn't matter what your health condition looks like today. I know what it's going to look like in a year. He knows the future. I don't know if you remember the story of Lazarus, but Lazarus is found in John 38. And in John 38, Lazarus gets really sick. This was Jesus' super close friend, Lazarus. He loved Lazarus. That was his man. And some of these other friends, they come to Jesus who's out doing ministry, and they say, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. you got to come home. you got to come heal him. He's going to die. Jesus like, thank you for letting me know. And he kept doing ministry. He didn't come for days. He didn't come for days. Listen, God is sovereign. He's on the throne. He's not worried about what you're worried about. He is the beginning. He is the end. As the Bible says, the alpha and the omega. But I want to read to you the rest of the story in the book of John 38. It says this, Jesus, once more, deeply moved, he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Verse 39, take away the stone, Jesus said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, 
Lazarus' sister. By this time, there's already a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. In other words, Jesus, you missed your moment. You missed it. My brother's dead. He's been dead. You should have came when I asked you to come. He's so dead that he stank real bad right now. He's dead. You missed it. But God knows the future. And it says in verse 41, so they took away the stone and Jesus called in a loud voice and he said, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out and his hands and his feet were wrapped with toilet paper and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, <laughs> take off the grave clothes and let him Go, I wish I was there. I wish I was there. God always has the final say. The reason I love this passage is because some of you today are in a situation where you feel like it's dead. You marriage, you feel like it's dead. A relationship, you feel like it's dead. My health, there's no hope. It's dead. This job, man, it's dead. Some of you, you have the spirit of a dead man. You're spiritually wrapped in linen and clothes because you've given up on it. But listen, I want you to know that we serve a God of the impossible. He is the God of the resurrection. By the way, it was Jesus himself who rose from the dead. Nothing is ever over with God. He knows the future. Let's look at number five together. Dealing with worry is to realize that my trials bring me closer to Christ. In point three, I said, why would God allow bad things to happen? To good people. Why would God allow hardships, trials, valleys, troubles? Why would God allow it? It's because he knows that trials are going to draw you closer to him. I have learned that you're never as close to Christ as when you're in the middle of a crisis. You are never Clinging to God, hoping for God, asking God, praying to God is like when you're going through hell. And so sometimes I'm in the middle of hell. I need a miracle. I need God to do something. I want out of this situation. I'm like, God, get me out of this situation. I need a miracle. And sometimes God is saying, why would I get you out of that? I love your attention. I'm going to leave you in it for a while. It's nice getting to know you. It's nice hanging out with you. And so trials bring us closer to Christ. You remember Solomon, he said in Proverbs, sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. Sometimes it takes a trial so that we will go back to God. In 1 Peter 1 verse 7 it says, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. 
Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Trials, they are the furnace of life. They burn out the impurities in our life. That's what they're intended for. The Apostle Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 12. And I want to read this to you. He says, so to keep me from becoming proud. So he gives us a reason. He's about to talk about hardships, trials. He says, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan. It was there to torment me. And he says it again, to keep me from becoming proud. Now, why would Paul say that? First of all, Paul could have been a pretty arrogant person. Paul was like, spiritual giant for Jesus. Paul went from, I don't believe in Jesus. I persecute Christians. I put Christians in prison. I'm okay with having Christians murdered. He went house to house. If they were Christian, pulled them out, persecuted, imprisoned them. One day, Paul, he has this epiphany, a conversion experience in Acts chapter 9. Surrenders his life to Christ. Now he becomes a champion for Christ. He goes on three missionary journeys all over the place, preaching Christ. He starts 14 churches in prominent cities. He writes 13 books in the New Testament. This dude was the man. And he says, so to keep me from becoming proud. God gave me a problem, he says. I got a thorn in my flesh in three Different times I begged the Lord to take it away. God, take this thing away. And each time God said, my grace is all you need. Another translation says, my grace is sufficient for you. He says, my power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Listen to this. He says, that's why I take pleasure in my weakness. Who does that? That's why I take pleasure in my weakness, in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the troubles I suffer for Christ. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Because the weaker I am, the stronger God can be in me. Sometimes the miracle isn't that God takes the situation from you. It's that he goes with you in the situation. Sometimes a miracle is not that he takes you out of the situation. It's that he walks with you and protects you through the situation. I want to pray for you. Would you bow your heads?